Um, that's a great lead into what I want to talk about. Paul said, I don't shrink back from preaching the whole purpose. Sometimes we can shrink back from preaching the whole purpose because the whole purpose can create tension, can create a sense of unease, create a sense of, oh my goodness, what does that all mean? But he didn't shrink back because the whole purpose of God is for God's people. And so God has a very definitive purpose, a plan, a dream for his people, which his people must know if they are to fulfill that plan and that purpose. Does that make sense? So he didn't shrink back from declaring all that he knew. And I want to take us to the third part of this message of wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And what we're going to touch on today uh, is probably going to be a little bit sensitive. But who knows, there is absolutely no condemnation in Christ. So even if we are not walking in the way in which I'm about to preach, there is no condemnation in Christ. So if you're feeling condemned, it's not coming from him. It may be coming from yourself. So your own mind might be telling you, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Okay, you need to take that thought captive and you need to declare God's word over your life that says I'm holy and blameless, I've been set apart for the very thing you're going to hear. The enemy may also throw you darts of words as well that says to you, that's right, you are useless, you're not good enough, you're not good enough because you don't understand that. You need to take those thoughts captive because if we don't, those thoughts will rob us from ever coming into the whole purpose of God because we take ourselves out through our own mind or we listen to the voice of the liar who tells us lies and we buy into the lie. Is that clear? And so wisdom is vindicated, the Bible says quite clearly, by her deeds. And we've been looking at this, haven't we? And I've brought two messages, and this is the third part. So what does that really mean? Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And I talked about last week about um, those bits of paper that have numbers all over it, and you join the numbers up, and all of a sudden there's a picture that you're looking at. You can't see the picture before you start joining the dots, but as soon as you start joining the dots, oh, it's a beautiful peacock. Oh, it's a zebra. Oh, it's a building. And you can color those in. And so off the page comes the living picture. Off the pages comes a reality. It's no longer now just a bit of paper with some numbers on it that you've drawn. Actually, there's a picture looking at you. Do you know there's a picture that God wants us to see here? Not just words on paper, but a picture. So wisdom is vindicated, is made right by her ability to live something out. So wisdom in its maturest form is not what I know, it's what I can live. So Jesus was the wisdom of God, and he demonstrated something. See, we honor worldly wisdom where we think, well, wisdom is just my knowledge of scriptures. 
But Jesus said, you look at the scriptures thinking you're going to find eternal life, but eternal life is in me, and you don't come to me to find eternal life. You're looking in the wrong place. You need to see the living scriptures that paint the picture of who I am and who you are in me and my macro plan for the church. Why? So you can live the way I've called you to live, a life of wisdom, a life of demonstration. Sometimes all we think is this, Jesus came and saved me from hell. That's the story. Save people from hell. I'm in. No, that's a start of a macro picture and plan. That's not the end. That's a start to unfolding what Jesus and God have always been looking for. You see, when you make that the end, that's where you tend to stay. And so you never want to seek beyond what actually is for us because you don't, we're unaware of what's beyond. So wisdom is made right by her ability to live. So here's two questions. What are these right deeds or works of wisdom that are to be demonstrated through the church? So what are these acts? What are these works? Because the Bible talks about works, doesn't it? They're not just any works, are they? Anyone can do any works of good deeds, can't they? So we need to know what the works, what are the deeds, what are the works that the church lives out, which is wisdom, that Jesus modeled. So what are these right deeds or works of wisdom that are to be demonstrated through us? No. What are these righteous acts of the saints that are the bride's fine linen garments? So the Bible talks about the fine linen garment are the righteous acts of the saints. Who are the saints? Those that are Christ, those that are God's are the saints. So the fine linen garment are the right acts of the saints. Wisdom is made right by her ability to live something out. So there are garments given for right acts. So what are these right acts? Are you tracking with me? So Revelation 19.8 says this, It was given to her, which is the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, which are wedding clothes, For the fine linen is the righteous acts, a right act of the saints. Jesus did nothing from his own initiative, correct? Everything Jesus did was a right act unto heaven, correct? So are we, if he is the prototype, if he is the example, then we are to follow his example, correct? It's not about any work, it's his work. You don't respond to a need because you see it, you respond to a need because you are sent, So Jesus was sent, Paul was sent, Moses was sent. So often we just respond because we see a need and go, well, I must fix that. And God's like going, who told you to go fix that? See, Jesus only did what he heard his father telling him to do. That was his alignment thing. That was his 
his singular process, Father, I only do what you ask me to do, which means I must be able to hear the Father if I'm going to do what the Father asked me to do. So there are these fine linen garments that the bride is given because she's made herself ready because she lived a type of life in obedience and faithfulness in an alignment to heaven. Not any old way because she didn't know what to do. He's so beautiful, isn't he? Because this keeps drawing you back to relationship. It keeps you in relationship. It keeps you like Mary at the feet of Christ. So you're continually hearing what he, how and what he wants you to and how he wants you to live. Because you can expend a whole lot of resource, time and energy on stuff that he's not asking out of good intention because you think that's right. And it's a good intention, it's beautiful, but it's just not God. And hence we wonder why, it's, where's this life? You go, but I never asked it, I never asked you to do that. I never asked you to make sandwiches, Martha. I actually asked you to sit at my feet. But God, but God, but God. And God goes, yeah, but I never asked it. And there's a reward for right acts. Are you aware of the Bible speaks of rewards? There are rewards for the saints who live in accordance to the pattern of heaven. So I'm really hoping you've been tracking with each message. This is why it's like it's food for the soul what's going out. And it's all being spoken into a definitive picture. So as I'm speaking this, it's I'm giving you a wedge. I'm giving you a piece of a big picture. And I'm going to remind you what I've said to you, but this is the intentionality of the Word of God. It wants to take you from one measure to another, to another. It says, although my outer man is decaying, my inner man is going from strength to strength to strength to strength to strength. I'm becoming like the sun, which means then I can walk in the manner in which the sun walked. I can, not me, but Christ in me, the hope of glory, I can do all things who Christ who, through Christ who strengthens me. So Greg Simnor can do all things through Christ who mightily empowers Greg Simnor. Not through Greg Simnor's ability, but through the power of heaven. So I can love like Jesus. I can have the joy Jesus had. He promises me that. He says, I give you my joy in abundance so no one can take it. I can have the peace that guards my heart and my mind. I can be free of all things. I can live from rest. I can be in rest my whole life. I cannot worry or be anxious. See, God is a big God. He's an overcoming God. And we must believe in that. And not look at our circumstance and our situation and our experience and go, no, my experience doesn't match your truth. He says, son, your experience, my truth is to build your experience. It's my truth that defines your experience, not your experience of life, but through my truth, me, I want to shape your experience. So then your experience becomes my truth. And it is true that I can do all things through Christ, who puts his power in me to accomplish all things. All things are all things. 
So it comes now down to, do I believe the very first work? Because there are three things I've given you. Sorry, there are two, and I'm going to give you three. The first thing was, do you believe, this is the first work, do you believe in him, Jesus, whom the Father sent? Because when you start marrying, I can do all things through Christ, it starts to challenge whether I believe. See, it's all interlinked. Because now if I don't, I don't know, oh, I don't know, well, do I really believe? And we looked at what truly believing means, didn't we? Can you remember? Have you been eating? Or it was like, what? I've got to preach lesson one all over again because we weren't hearing the word. Which means we're not eating the word, which is part of what Jesus said. Do you believe I am the bread of life? And if you believe I am, are you eating and partaking of me? For if you're not, you don't believe. But what for? So I can do all things. If I'm going to do all things, I need to believe that he is the word of God. And then I'm eating the word of God. For he said, I am the bread of life that has been sent from heaven to earth for you to eat and drink. Otherwise, how can you do all things? If you're not eating the right food, you won't be able to do all things and fulfill the promise that is for you. For God is not a liar. He says, these are my promises. They are for you. But we find ourselves outside of the promises because we're not eating the real food because we don't believe. And that's why Jesus said the work of God, firstly, is to believe in me who was sent from above, that you would eat of me and drink of me. And a whole lot of people went, ah, that's a lie. And they walked away. And they walked away from the food source that was going to enable them to fulfill the promises. Because there's a promise. It's called, do you want to marry me? But if you haven't got the right garment on, you can be there but not marry me. Do you believe me? Maybe. You haven't been taught that. You've been taught you just get there automatically, haven't you? You pray a prayer, you're going to be the bride. Is that what we've been taught? That's what I know has been taught in the body of Christ. So what does it do? Lulls us into a false sense of security. But the Bible is clearly, clearly, and we're going to look at a scripture that clearly talks about rewards and loss. It clearly talks about faithfulness and obedience to the purpose and the plan of heaven. It clearly talks about that it's a free gift that got you in, but it's a prize that needs to be earned through working out your salvation, not in your strength. The Bible clearly talks about the two pictures, but we tend to only talk about the one because it makes us feel comfortable. And the second picture, if we don't hear it right, actually brings condemnation. But it doesn't. It brings conviction, but it brings condemnation because we don't hear it right. That's why I started. There is no condemnation in Christ. There's just opportunity. But there is going to be a judgment for the way in which we have lived upon the earth. Are you aware of that? Are you aware there is a judgment seat for Christians not to penalize in the sense of to punish but for reward which means that you may get your reward or you may suffer loss 
you may not have realized why you live the whole plan of God. So you never lived, you never entered into it because you weren't made aware of it. Can you understand why Paul said, I'm not ashamed, I'm not going to shrink back from preaching the entire gospel. This is what got the man killed by the church. This is what got Jesus persecuted by the people that he came for because he would preach the whole truth. And when you bring the whole truth, what happens is if there's flesh hanging around us, it goes, because Jesus says that truth is going to come and pierce the heart to bring a true biblical repentance that would lead to godly sorrow, that would have you now on your knees and then being raised up from love and living in accordance to the word. That's what the Word of God does. It builds. It heals. It sets you apart. It aligns. It does the work of transformation. But if we don't believe, if we're not fully convinced, and we, this is a process. So God wants us to believe, to believe, to believe. The Bible says in Romans, do you believe as it is written? Do you have a faith as the Bible declares, as it is written. So the Bible clearly describes what faith is. It's saying, do you have that type of faith? As is written. Not Greg's version of faith. God's version of faith. Do you hear what I'm trying to say to you? There is a faith and the Bible declares it. Is that my faith? Or if I come up with some other version of it that I say, oh, I think it's this and I think it's that. See, when we have his version of faith, we start seeing the unseen. We hear what's in the unheard realm. Why? Because we believe. I'm going to read you Matthew 22, verses 11. It's a parable on the marriage feast. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you come here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So often we sort of think maybe this is talking to a non-Christian because we read things like out of darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and we go, oh, it must be a Christian. That must be talking about hell. But it's not. And if you want to go and have a listen to a series I did a while ago called The Bride of Christ, I actually touched on this and I ripped this apart. There are many people, many theological people, spiritual people that will tell you this is not hell. You see, there's versions, and there are a whole lot of theologians that will tell you it is. So you've got a difference of opinion. That's interesting when there's only one truth. So who teaches the church, man or the spirit? The spirit must teach us all things, not myself or what I listen to someone else teach me. The spirit must reveal everything to me, for he is the teacher of the church. Don't have another teacher. There's nothing wrong with man being a teacher, but... Is the Spirit of God teaching us? So what's going on here? Because I see a guy that's got some wrong garments, but he's at a wedding feast. 
I thought you needed to have the clothes of righteousness on to get to the wedding feast. I thought you needed to be made right in Christ's eyes to be in this place. And once again, it's a parable, so it's trying to make a point, a main point. What's the main point? The man's not ready. He's not prepared. The bride will make herself ready. He doesn't have the right garments on. What were the right garments of the bridal? The righteous acts of the saints? The right works? So he's got garments on because he's got the garment of righteousness, which is Isaiah 61. But this is a garment. He didn't have wedding clothes on, which is the righteous acts. Jesus came to do works of the Father, didn't he? He was righteous, so he made the church righteous, but he came to do works. And the Bible says there are these works that have been prepared beforehand for the church to do, doesn't it? And it talks about how man's works are going to get burnt up with fire, doesn't it? So he's got the wrong garments on, which means he's asked to leave what he was invited to because many are called, but only few are chosen. Only few choose to spend the time to truly discover the Father's heart and the Father's plans and the Father's ways. Only few choose to sit at his feet because the many are running around saying, thank you for salvation, but I've got a life to live. I've got a life to live. And would you bless my life? He says, Greg, would you bless my life? It's not your ministry, it's my ministry. I bought you with my life for a purpose, son, that you would discover who you are in me and together we would walk together. And I want to marry you, son, but if you don't love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm telling you that, and if you have other things called idols in your life that are keeping you away from that relationship that you love more than me, then you're not worthy of me, and which means you won't have the right garment on when you need to have it on, but that garment gets you in called the garment of righteousness, for I did not earn that, that is a gift, but the prize, I press on towards the prize, Paul said, what's the prize? See, that can just be words up there on a bit of black paper. Or it can be your living reality, which has you turning and living a life and coming into a life that you might not even thought was possible. So the first work, he said, is to believe. Let me read it out. First deed or work that we would believe, be fully convinced and live from the reality of Jesus being our eternal food source for this life. So what's your diet like? What you're putting in is what's going to come out of you. Second deed or work the ability to demonstrate or model a Christ-like life, to walk in the manner in which he walked. So we talked about this. The first thing is love. To love. Let me give you a commandment. Love one another as I love you. Well, you can't do that unless you're in the first work. You'll find yourself falling short of an ability to do something you've been commanded to do. Is this getting through? Mm-hmm. Is the seriousness of this getting through? Is it, is, it, is it hitting the mark? Because really, if we really get this, we'll all be on our knees repenting by the time I've finished. 
I'll give you an example of what it looked like. We'll all be on our knees if we're hearing the word. Jesus said faith comes through the ability to hear what's really going on. You don't understand because you can't hear. He said to his disciples, but I've given you the Holy Spirit that you would hear. That's a tension, isn't it? Makes us feel a bit uncomfortable and our flesh starts to squirm a bit because we're like, oh, this is starting to get a bit uncomfortable. Remember what I said before is why we need to know the whole person and there's no condemnation? I can sense right now, people, you're squirming in your seats. I can sense it in my spirit. I can see it. It's okay. okay. It's okay. We need to hear this so we know. Otherwise, we're not going to know and we're going to walk out unaltered and it could come a point where we go, oh my goodness, now it's too late because now I'm standing before Jesus and it's too late because there's no promotion past this point and what I needed to learn, I didn't learn because I was afraid of it maybe. But there's no fear in Christ. His perfect love casts out fear. So if we're feeling fear right now, it could be your flesh or it could be the enemy having a go. And we need to hear the whole, we need to know the whole purpose. So the outer darkness is a shadow. You're out of something you're invited to. It's not hell here in this particular passage of context. Just think about it. Non-Christians aren't going to be at the wedding feast. So there's something we need to come into because we need to walk in the manner in which he walked, which is the second part. And we're going to be held accountable for our obedience, aren't we? What do we do when Jesus asks us to do something we don't want to do? What happens when your mum and dad ask you to do something you didn't want to do? Was there a consequence? I hope there was. Good parenting puts consequences in place for bad behavior, disobedience, don't we? We don't reward little Johnny for doing the wrong thing. That teaches him the wrong thing. So my parents, if I did the wrong thing, put a consequence. My disobedience, there was a consequence of that disobedience. They still loved me. They were still, I was still a simnor, but there was a consequence for my disobedience. Do you know there is going to be a consequence for our disobedience? But it doesn't alter his love. It doesn't alter what he wants to do in us. His grace is covering that. But he's looking for who loves him and who's going to walk out the plan and the purpose as his body. So the third deed is the accomplishment of faith and spirit-empowered works. The third deed, okay? First one is that we would believe, be fully convinced that Jesus was sent. He is the eternal food source. We're eating it. The second deed of work, which is wisdom, is the ability to demonstrate and model Christ-like behavior. Walk in the manner in which he walked. 1 John 2 verse 6. Go read it. It's all clearly there. We've preached it. The third deed is the accomplishment of faith and spirit-empowered works. Remember I said it wasn't about being right or wrong, but it was about living a life of righteousness? This is what I'm talking about. We're fascinated on right and wrong. God's interested in can you live a life of righteousness? Can you live a life of wisdom? Can you demonstrate me on the earth, my body? For the manifold wisdom of God is to come through the church. So can you be the people that I've called you to be? 
I died, I rose again, I want to fill you with my power so you can be the people I've called you to be. I want you to be the people I've called you to be. I have died for you, the people that I want you to be, but there must be a letting go of one's life and a grabbing hold of what I just said if we truly want to walk this plan and this purpose out. So a life of righteousness is not about right or wrong. It's about living a life under heaven that's a right life in everything that we do. And he wants us to discover this through the power of revelation. I'm just going to quickly read James 2. If I can find James 2. Where have you gone? There you are. I'm going to read this reasonably fast. James 2 verse 14. It's called Faith and Works. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet do not give him uh, them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, is, if it has works, is dead being by itself. So he gives you an example of what faith without works is going to look like. Okay? That's what it looks like. So you've got to have two things operating. But someone may, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. So there's two things coming together as one posture. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. Now, faith isn't trust. Faith is the ability to see in the unseen realm and act accordingly. Trust is what you need when you don't see. Abraham saw and knew that God was going to raise his boy even if he died. That's why he stepped into it. See, we've taught we need to trust that that was, ooh, what was going to happen? Was that a 50-50? No, no. He had faith. What's faith, guys? We must have a faith as is written. What does the Bible say faith actually is? It says it's the assurance of what you hope for and the conviction of the unseen. The Bible says we don't walk or live by what we see, but what we see in the unseen realm, the eternal realm. Okay, So Abraham can see, he even tells you in the scripture, the scripture says me and the boy are going over there to worship, then we're coming back. Me and the boy are going over there then we are coming back. It's huge. So he had an absolute conviction. He had faith. And so the work was an outflow of what he saw. You see why our works need to come from the realm of faith, which is the invisible realm. The works that God has prepared for us, prepared for us beforehand, 
my life was prepared beforehand too, wasn't it? So before the foundations of the earth, I was already chosen, called, and mapped out. Well, so are the works that God has for me, prepared beforehand. So I am trying to discover who God's called me to be and live in the lane he's called me to be in the way that he's designed that under the power of heaven. That's the alignment of oneness that God backs. But that requires relationship. That requires intimacy. That requires seeking, asking, knocking, seeking, asking. That requires a pursuit of love. Who is love? God, it's easier just to give anything a go, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's easier just to do good Christian works, maybe out of fear or guilt or good intention or a sense of accomplishment and purpose because I want to feel good about myself, so I'm going to do some cool things. And really, it's all about me. It can be all about us. Look what I did. Look what I did. We don't say that, but that's actually what's going on in our heart. Or we need these works for a sense of purpose because we don't know him. We don't maybe know who we are. And so those things bring a sense of rest and, oh, man, thank you. That's just, just comforting. And the tension that we feel that God's trying to bring and break us into then dissipates. And so we're like, now I can just relax and rest because he's shut up. And now it's, oh, it's gone away. That tension's gone away. Oh, that's better. It feels so much better now you stop talking. Oh, it almost got me. (laughs) (laughs) Or I just leave because I don't like the frequency because it's actually coming to set me free, but I don't know that. I think it's coming to hurt me, but it's coming to free me from me. Do you know who really needs to get this message? We all do, but do you know who really needs to get it? Those in positions like me. Those are the people that really need to hear this. Because if I operate from a work that's not of him, because I need to feel a sense of accomplishment or achievement, because my ego needs stroking or I just don't know who I am. So I find who I am through my accomplishments for Christ. And I lead that way. Then I will lead a whole people that way. And we just walk away from the life he calls us into. Because my identity is defined by him and who I am, not what I do. And so as a leader, I must be prepared to lay everything down and walk away from it, not him, what I do, for him to say, that's cool, son, now you can pick that back up because now I'm defining it, not you. Because if I'm still defining it, we're in trouble. But if he's defining it and I'm free of it, then I'm free to do it the way he wants me to do it, not the way I think it should be done. Jesus only did what his father asked and showed him to do. I do nothing from my own initiative. It comes from above. It flows out to the earth. In the process, you get built as the church. It's not about any works, but works that come from faith. We can do works of flesh. We can do works of faith. What did Noah say? 
it says, by faith, this is Hebrews 11.7, by faith, Noah built an ark. Look at that. Being warned by God about things not yet seen. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17 talks about we don't walk at the things we see. We walk in accordance to the unseen. So Noah's being warned by God about things not yet seen. In reverence to that, he prepared an ark, his work. Faith, by faith, what's faith? Biblical faith? Having conviction of the unseen. So he sees the unseen that God shows him. He then, the work that comes out of that is a right work, a righteous act of the saint called Noah. So the ark came from the unseen, didn't it? Works are to come from the unseen. God took me on a journey nine years ago. So, Greg, I want to show you stuff that you don't yet know. Is God talking to you about things you don't yet know? See, by faith, he spoke to him about things not yet seen. So what are the things that God's talking to you about that you haven't yet seen? Because they're for us, aren't they? Paul said, there's so many things that are freely given us as saints. So there's all this stuff that God wants to show us that are not yet seen, that haven't yet entered our heart. Did you know that? So whether you just want to do anything about it or not, that's the challenge. Eh? So God says, Greg, come away with me for 18 months. He didn't say 18 months, that's how long it took. He said, come away with me. What for? I'm going to show you some things. What things? I'm going to show you that I build my church and your thinking on that is pretty messed up. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You're never going to know if it is unless you come away with me. You can continue on the life you think you're running, but... You know, you're a little bit frustrated and things aren't going the way you plan and all those things and you've got the fruit of your work. So we can either continue on this journey or you can repent, meaning turn and actually come to me because you're not God and I am. So I've got some things I want to show you, things you do not yet know, don't understand, haven't seen. Okay. Do you believe? Yes, Lord. Are you fully convinced? Yes, God. Then walk with me. Okay. He started to teach me, literally directly, at all different times, all different places, things not yet seen. I hadn't yet seen them. I mean seen them and heard of them, not just, oh yeah, I read that. I'm talking about things that move you to action, that change direction, change the way you think, change the way you speak, change the way you act, change what you say, change how you lead, change how you govern. We're talking about change. Not the same thing, whipped up differently, dressed differently. We're talking about change. We're great at dressing up old wineskins as new, but all they are is an old wineskin dressed as something else. So then he takes me on this journey. I had no understanding of the bride of Christ, no understanding of the millennial reign, no understanding of this stuff, none. So he starts to do a revelation. He starts to bring to light the things that my eye hadn't seen, my ears had not heard, had not yet entered my heart. So by faith, I'm seeing things, receiving through the power of revelation. I wrote a book about it, if you're new, it's called Bird's Eye View. 
So now I have a knowledge of God that I didn't have before about his plans and how he does things. I start to understand why the commandment is the commandment and the commission isn't. Why is it when you speak to most Christians, they think the commission is first and the commandment, well, what's that? Or I know about it. Why is that? Why, do, why are we? And yet if we looked and we said, do we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? If we really allow the Spirit of God to look into that realm and ask those questions, would we truly be found in that place or would we be found just doing works? Because if we truly look at that place, what's that going to mean? So I'd rather go do some works. And if I just do the works, I don't have to think about those questions, and I can move myself away from that reality so no one asks those questions because that question may unravel me. It may just bring me into freedom, but at the same time, it may just unravel me. And it's so scary, I don't want to look at that because maybe I really don't know who I am. So I'm just going to continue doing works. But they're not works of faith because faith requires relationship. Faith requires me to go back over here and actually ask that question because it's about seeing. So I must be in relationship and I must allow the word of God to go to work on my heart and my mind and bring me into this abundant life because there are these incredible promises in the word that said I can walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. In fact, he commanded me to do it. So I need to go the right way if I'm going to come into this righteous life. Are you tracking with me? So he's showing me stuff, and I remember getting up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is this going to mean? That means I have to say that. That means I have to speak that. That means things at the rock need to change. The way we do things need to change. Things are going to actually implode. He says, yep. Doesn't need to. Absolutely doesn't need to if people apply faith and trust and want to walk this out rather than their own things, it can all be awesome because the life you've come into is awesome. But then there's the challenge of that very process. So I'm looking at the mirror in our ensuite going, and he said this, you said you'd never play this. Yep, I did. He said, so I've heard that and I'm calling on it today. You don't have to share what I'm showing you, but there will be a consequence for it because I'm showing you for a purpose. You know, he's so gracious. He said, I want to build my church at the rock. Will you let me? See, we, that, we, we struggle with that because we say, well, God can do all things. God works in partnership. God can do all things, but he looks for partnership. He looks for a oneness if I had a marriage where I said, I'm the boss, Danielle, and you just do what I want, when I want, and it's all about me, how long do you think that marriage is going to last? <laughs> Two seconds. Are we not co-heirs with Christ? Are we not? Isn't God looking for a bride-husband relationship? He wants the synergy. Doesn't he pray for oneness? Hasn't he said, you're my ambassadors on the planet? So an ambassador from America doesn't ring up Donald Trump every five minutes saying, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? No, he knows the way of America. He's familiar and knows all the way, and he flows in it or she. See, we think it's just all God and we just sit there. No, God's looking for a partnership, but we've got to get the sequencing pattern around the right way. Get it around the wrong way, you're in trouble. But it's not miles apart. It's so close, it's not funny. 
So he says, I want to build my church. Will you let me? Will you move out the way? Let me come. And I want to redefine words. And I even shared this prophecy that I got five years before this even happened that I did not understand by someone who walked in here and gave me a word that I didn't understand it. And now it's living. And it's active. And so I said, yeah, let's go. So the work that he's doing in and has done through me and wants to do here has come from faith. Trust me, it just wasn't a good idea. It was a dumb idea if it's not done by the Spirit. And if you've been around here long enough, you know the impact that word has had here. God has changed the apostolic board, part of the eldership, not all the eldership staff, people. The people you were are not who you are today. The people you are today are not who you're becoming. You see, we've got to grab these words, guys. They're not just God speaking. He is speaking to you and me. It's not just nice words in a book that goes, oh, well, I don't understand that. Who gives a rip? Life continues. No. It changes us. It builds us. God is looking for her that we would be able to live in a way that he would give you at the end of your life a reward. Well done, my true and faithful servant. Do we even grasp that? My true and faithful servant. Just turning up here doesn't mean you're being faithful. If it's led by flesh and like, well, you know, religious expectations, God's like going, I want to, it's great, but I want to flip that. I want to bring into relational connection. I want you to praise me, not because of the because this is what we do. I want to bring you into this life so you can discover the life you were called for, so you can experience the fullness. He wants to be set free. But see, there's a flow and there's a way. And I'm building an ark. Think about that. Noah's reverence for God had him building something. Came out of the unknown place. Because these people hearts, this is an Isaiah, because out of their reverence, which was learnt by rote. So he says, your hearts are far from me because your reverence is in traditions. Religious ritual that it may be been passed down. Because their people's hearts are far away from God, their reverence for God has them caught up in the traditions of men. There is a massive difference between the works that God ordains in his name and the works that man does out of good intention, fear, guilt, law, obligation, self, sense of purpose, meaning, self-worth, identity, and accomplishment in his name. I'm just going to read you, I'm going to wrap it here. This 1 Corinthians 3. So you know I'm not plucking this out of thin air. Once again, there's no condemnation in Christ. I hope there is conviction. I hope we're starting to not realize how bad we are, but who we've been called to be, and go, my goodness, this is amazing. This is good news. So 1 Corinthians 3. Actually, let's read all of one, because 
this gives context. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. So he's talking to the Corinthian church. I can't speak to you as spiritual men or women, but of men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? The challenge is we don't put ourselves in this. Look at that's like that's the other church. Are we able to speak about things that are meaty? Or are we still fleshly? Because he says, I can't speak to you about deep stuff. I can't go there because we don't get it. He said, we're still not getting it. We're still fleshly. We're still, you know, there's still division. There's still people arguing. There's still about, I want this and I want that. What about me? What about me? What about me? So then he says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's powerful. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, this is Paul, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which brings you back to, do you believe? And are we eating the food of Jesus, the foundation? For no man can have another foundation other than the one which is laid, Jesus Christ. Now, here we go. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Now just flip over to 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to throw something in here. 4. And I'd encourage you to encourage our guys during the week to go eat this stuff. And if you go to 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9, what makes this so powerful is the verses before, but it says this, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So their ambition was to be pleasing to the Lord. Everything that they were going to do was going to be in alignment to God. No more, no less. It says this, For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Then he says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Do you think Paul knows what's coming? Do you think he knows the state of the church in which he's speaking into? Do you think he's laying his life down and preaching messages because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And he wants the church which he loves, which he is in labor again until he sees it fulfilled to receive all that she had because he knows that there is a loss for those that won't. Before that, he says, we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith is the ability to see. It's confusing. We don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Sight. We don't walk by what we see in the natural. We walk by faith, sight, what we see in the realm of the spirit, which is already written and done. And because we can see it, Abraham, we offer the boy up as a sacrifice, which is a right act. And we, because we've been brought into that realm, live now from that reality our whole life. So the works that we do are done from that realm. They come out of that realm into the earth, and they are manifested through the church. And he's going, you're all individually going to be judged for how you play your part in that. Firstly, in seeing a body established on the earth, and secondary, as individuals in your lives. That's serious, eh? And I'm hoping the seriousness of what you're hearing has grabbed you today. I wouldn't be doing my, I wouldn't be faithful if I don't bring this. And I wouldn't be obedient if I don't bring this, which means I'm being disobedient to him and you. But I understand the impact of it. Hence, there's no condemnation in Christ. So I hope you hear it through a lens of faith and not fear. I hope you hear it through the spirit and not flesh. And I pray that you would go to him and engage and ask. And if you have questions, come to me and feel free to challenge what you've heard. But I ask you to take it to him and start finding him more than maybe what you are. Because of the reality he calls us to live out. Ambassadors of heaven living on the earth is our identity. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that this is a high calling. This is not an earthly calling. It's an eternal calling never has been an earthly calling. And so, God, I just ask you to open my and continue to open our eyes to hear and see the fullness of what is in you. Thank you that love covers. 
grace abounds and you have hope in your heart for us. May we have it for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just tonight we've got the third part of the evangelistical gift, and so I'd encourage you to come out and have a listen to that. Um, Ian Max going to be here next Sunday, so that's going to be cool. Um, outside of that, have an awesome day. I'm going to the cafe. Um, if you have any questions, I'll be here or email greg at the rock dot org dot nz. Thanks, guys.